Welcome to the Writing Block Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today's episode is all about writing flash fiction and short stories. I'm Jackie Castle, and I'm here with Carrie Dubiel, and today we're joined by award-winning author Rand Walker. How's everyone doing today? Doing wonderful. Hanging in there. (laughs) Rand, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your work? I am the author of uh, 20 books. And I currently write microfiction and flash fiction. We also have Carrie Dubiel hosting today, who also writes short stories. So that'll be a fun discussion to get into. I did. I, I have written short stories for a long time, but I haven't written one in a while. So need to get back to that. So, Rand, let's just dive in. In addition to writing short fiction, you also write novels. What do you enjoy the most about writing short fiction? I guess with short fiction, I don't have to commit to a genre. And that's one of the things that always kind of, uh, I guess, got in my crawl a little bit when I was doing novel writing. There's a certain brand that I was projecting a lot of the time. But with short stories, I can write about things that are science fiction or fantasy. I love horror. So um, I can delve into these things without feeling like I'm obligated to continue on in a particular genre. So it just, you know, it's playful. You can just have fun with it and experiment and try different things and see what works. Do you have any themes that you've returned to multiple times? I like dark stuff. I guess most of the short stories that I teach at the university that I teach at, um, I teach at Hampton University in Virginia, and I teach a number of creative writing courses. And I always have people reading the same stories so whether it's Shirley Jackson's A Lottery or whether it's uh, William Faulkner's A Rose for Emily, um, Baxter's Procrustes by Charles Chestnut, I like the twist kind of thing. And I do understand that's somewhat dated at this point with regard to uh, short story writing, but it's fun. It takes you down this, this road that kind of reminds you of the Twilight Zone, amazing stories uh, back in the day, uh, Tales from the Crypt. And so I just, I really love those types of stories, but I don't really write them as often. I tend to write things that are a little bit more experimental, but that's what I like about the genre is that you get a chance to, to get these stories um, that kind of take you places that you didn't expect to go. I think with short fiction, it's easier to just kind of get a taste for a setting or a character or a mood. I started, well, I'd written short stories in college because of those curricula. Like, what Rand teaches, I'm sure, were the kind of classes that I had taken. And when I got older, you know, and out of college, what drew me to short fiction was that just just that quick glimpse into a world. I like the genre bending as well, too. Love kind of dipping into things here and there. So that was helpful. And for me personally, writing short stories helped a lot when I had small, small children. So if you are a writer who is in that phase of life, I highly recommend because it makes you feel like you can actually get something done and be productive without 
spending as much time. And at that point in my life, too, I started submitting stories to contests and publishing in some small anthologies. And that helped me get some publishing credits, too. I'd like to hear more about microfiction and flash fiction because that has never been my strong suit. Uh, I want to say something right quick about um, what drew you and Carrie to writing short stories. Um, one of the things that Alice Monroe said at the time that she won a Nobel Prize for Literature was that that's what she had the time to write. I'm sure she wanted to write, you know, longer work, but she got those snatches of time throughout the day, and that's how she was able to write her short stories, and it led to quite an accomplished career. So I think that's a wonderful thing. That's great. But with microfiction, this is what's funny, right? So I started writing short stories first. And I realized that, you know, short stories that can go on for quite a bit of, of time. Like you can write a 16 page short story. And there, to me, there's nothing short about that. Uh, but when I heard about flash fiction, I was like, a thousand words. I mean, if you think about it, Double Space, uh, Times New Roman, is probably about 250 words per page. So it's about four pages. That seemed like something that I could actually start and finish in the same session. And I was really impressed with the fact that people could write complete stories in like 250 words. I was like, that's pretty cool. And I was also writing poetry on the side, and there's a poetic form that I use a lot called the Quan Saba, and it's a seven-line poem where there's seven words per line and no word of more than seven letters. So you're already wrestling to put information into 49 words, and that's when I heard about a 50-word story, and I think they call it a, a dribble. And a 50-word story, I'm like, that's one extra word, that's all I have to write is one more word, and I was already writing, but that was just completely wrong to think of it that way. With poems, you don't really have to take a person any place. You can just put them in an emotion. But with the story, something actually has to happen. And uh, I started submitting a few 50-word stories, and at a certain point, I kind of hit a rhythm and decided to do a book. After I had about uh, 15 or so of them published, I went ahead and wrote 100 of them and, and released a collection back in February of this year. But um, after that, I started experimenting with 100-word stories. You know, They call those drabbles. And things have been going fairly well so far uh, for 2020. I've had about five of them published. So, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Do you usually have a plot in mind when you begin, or is there something that triggers the writing of a new short story? Okay, so this is really cool. The new project I'm working on right now, I'm calling it in my head. I'm calling it the Underground Literary Mixtape. And it's a bunch of 100-word stories that are connected to various aspects of literature. And I had an idea a few days ago. Um, I was thinking about Shirley Jackson's Lottery. And I was like, what happened after they stoned? Oh, all right, spoiler alert. <laughs> I know the story was written in 1948, so I... Figure whoever was going to read it is going to read it already. So, uh, <laughs> but what would happen at the end of that story? And um, I thought about it. You know, like what would it look like to be Mister Hutchinson standing there with his two young boys? Because um, you know, you don't just create the sacrifice and then just leave 
that sacrifice lying against a shed. You know, it has to be disposed of some type of way. And what does that look like and how is um is a family involved in dealing with those remains? So I decided to write a story about it. And I'm just things that I find interesting. Like Rose for Emily, I mentioned that earlier, William Faulkner's story. There's one uh, black character in the entire story who actually has a name. And that's the, the manservant who works for Miss Emily. And you know, I'm not trying to spoil this story either, but Miss Emily <laughs> had a secret going on about a few things. But she had this person who was in the house with her the entire time. And he would have taken that information with him home when he you know, went back to his family in the evenings. And there was probably a whole community of people on the other side of the tracks, as they like to say, that would have said, you know what, Miss Emily is crazier than they even think. Because they know, but you know, because of the way the social stratifications are, there is no dialogue there. You know, the first person, uh, plural, um, narrators of the story don't really have any interest in what African Americans think. And, you know, it's perfectly fine for the setting and the time period and all of that kind of stuff. But the thing that's ignored by the narrator is the thing that to me is the most interesting thing. What's it like to go to work each day knowing that the person you work for has murdered somebody and continues to sleep with their body for years afterwards? What's it like knowing these secrets and how do you uh, live your life aside from your job with the knowledge that only you possess about a certain situation? So I decided to write a story about that. So it's just whatever I think is interesting, something that might be in the shadows of, um, of another piece. I wouldn't exactly call it fan fiction, um, but some of these ideas are just inspired by um, what other people might have already kind of looked at from, in my opinion, too limited an angle. I can actually read it for if you want to hear it. I would love that. That's awesome. That sounds great. Which one would you like to hear? The one, the Faulkner or the Jackson? Are they both a hundred words? Yeah, they're both a hundred words. Exactly. Let's hear both. Why not? <laughs> okay. Well, this one is called The Aftermath. And this one is uh, a shout out to Shirley Jackson. Once the last of the stones tore loose the remaining flesh above her frozen and defocused eyes, the men of the village quickly collected her body and carried it over to a hastily constructed pyre. This part of the ritual was largely regarded as an afterthought, although it was still necessary to complete the sacrifice. Wiping sweat from his brow, Mr. Hutchinson lit the single match he had been carrying, and with one arm draped across his boy's shoulders, he said goodbye to his wife and tossed the flame onto the kindling. But by this time, the villagers had already dispersed. Okay, and this... That is a little shivery. <laughs> Shivers going on over here. <laughs> All right, this one is called The Other Side of Jefferson. And that's uh, the fictitious city that Faulkner wrote about. It's based off of Oxford, Mississippi. And Jefferson is the county seat for Yoctapatapa County, which is based off of Laf uh, Lafayette County, I believe, in Mississippi. All right, 
So this one goes like this. Grandpa Toby told us about his time working at the Grierson house on the other side of Jefferson. He'd worked there since before the old man died and swore the daughter didn't have any skills besides being a southern belle, which wasn't worth much. Grandpa Toby had to damn near brush her teeth for her to hear him tell it. But it wasn't all her fault, he offered. She ain't had nobody to love on her. That'll make folks do crazy things. We swore we could see just a hint of horror behind his eyes when he said that. Those are so good. I love it. I can't believe how much tension you can pack into those hundred words. Those were really great. And you must have to spend a lot of time shining up those sentences and making sure that they're exactly perfect because you only have so many words to express what you're trying to say. Yeah, it's a lot of editing. But once you do it um, for a while, like I did a hundred of those 50 word stories. You get to where you can almost think the story in its original form in 50 words. But, you know, every word has to count. So I'm like, why is this particular word here? Or why would you use five words when one word would work perfectly fine for that five words? So it's, it's a constant editing process, but I'm able to do it a lot faster than I did when I first started. So it's a, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, that's really interesting. When you're writing these, do you tend to overwrite them and have to edit them down or underwrite and have to beef them up a bit? That's actually a really good question. Uh, oftentimes I overshoot a little bit. So it winds up being like 120 words, 125 words. And then I start seeing where I can trim and cut. And uh, this is something I work with my students on obsessively. I'm like, look at each sentence. How many of those words do you really need in that sentence to get that point across? And if you've mentioned something in the first sentence, the second sentence doesn't have to have the same information repeated. So um, I tend to overwrite and then scale back. But uh, I wrote a story yesterday called Books, and it was a 50-word story. And I wrote it, and it came out 38 words. I pushed it up to 50 words. But I had to be really strategic about that because I don't like to have fat sentences. So I figured out a way to make that work. And then I thought about, you know, what happens if this gets rejected because it requires too much mental work on the part of the reader? My wife said, maybe you should do a 100-word version. So I sat down and thought about what types of things I would need to add so that a person would have to bring less mental energy to understanding the story. And uh, so I have a 50-word version and a 100 version of the same story. And I think actually both of them, to me, feel publishable. That's interesting when you think about editing from longer works perspectives as well, because we get this tendency to think that, oh, I have a novel. I need to add more words, add more words, because I've got to get up to my quota of whatever it is for publishing. And we don't want to do that there either. Every word needs to count in a longer work as well. Oh, yeah. I think uh, the last novel that I wrote, um, actually, it wasn't the last novel that I wrote, but Daykeeper was the last novel that was that I had that was published. And that was the one that won the Indie Author of the Year Award through the Indie Author Project. That book is not technically a novel length. It's like 160 pages. 
it has the level, uh, the levels and complexities of a novel, but not the word count. So uh, I treat it as a novel, and really, when it comes down to it, it's just like being uh, the difference between being a person who writes short stories versus being a poet. It's whatever the person who created it calls it, and then everybody else calls it the same thing. But I feel it's a little bit more developed than a novella would be. It doesn't have as singular uh, a plot. But I say all that to say, and that wasn't even the last novel that I wrote. That was just the last one that got published. Um, editing goes into uh, so much uh, of what I do to the point where something can have started out at 50,000 words and wind up at 35,000 words. And I feel like I really haven't lost anything in, in the editing process. But um, I'm probably on an island to myself with that whole thing. You are not. I do the same thing. And then I'm constantly fighting with my word count because I'm thinking, this is too short. <laughs> but I I need to have enough words to get to a novel length. At least that's where I'm at with my current work in progress. With short stories, it's not as bad if it's a little shorter or a little bit longer than what I originally intended. Imagine that the 50 to 100 would be a lot harder to do just in terms of either, like you were saying, getting to that word count or pulling back from it. It's, it, I think that 50 and 100 version of that same story is really interesting. Yeah, I'm probably going to make that an assignment for my students in the fall is uh, to write the same story in three different lengths. I like that. And That's I want great. it to be, you know, publishable at each length. But, you know, it, to me, it's fun. It's like with poetry. There's so many forms that you can use. And uh, one of the last things I talk about in my poetry classes is free verse. I tell my students, treat the words like it's money. And you don't want to just overspend just because you can. Treat each of those words like they have monetary value. And you want to be conservative with your money. And the best way to get them to appreciate the value of each word is to have them to write in these different forms. If you write a Kwanzaa, you have 49 words. If you write a haiku, you have the five syllable, seven syllable, five syllable. You know, if you put these constraints on your writing, then it makes you really appreciate every word that you have at your disposal. So if we take all of that structure and form off of it, and you're left to write whatever you want to write, then you should be very disciplined with the words that you choose as opposed to just writing recklessly, which is what a lot of people do. I know when you write novels, you're often following a three-act structure or an eight-beat structure. Obviously, you can't do this with 100 words, but are there certain notes you try to hit in your flash fiction? I think I'm looking for a feeling at the end. I'm looking for, um, in church, they would say the amen. It's like you know when you hear something that has stirred you or moved you a little bit. And that's kind of what I use at this point because, you know, you're writing something that's so short, you can't really use the Freitag plot arc, you know, with the, we saw the exposition. And he didn't even have the inciting incident included into the plot arc when he did his. But then there's rising action, climax, falling action, and denouement. You can go through all of that in a novel. But the shorter the work gets, the more you have to chop off of that arc. And a lot of people say, well, you know, you start as close as you can to the climax. That's something I've taught 
uh, people who write short stories, but I'm writing things that are so short till they don't even really conform in any way to that structure. It's more like I'm trying to get this movement of your mind or spirit within the the latter part of, of what I'm writing. And it's difficult to describe, but I can feel it when I read other people's works. Like one thing I love to do is if I'm going to write in a particular form, I'm going to read so much of that form that I know what can and can't, what should and what shouldn't be done with the form. So with 50 Word Stories, there's a wonderful website called 50wordstories.com. You go there, you know, you can read 10 of those a day. And then pretty soon you start to get an idea of what works. Uh, Same thing with 100 Stories. Um, That one's .org. That's uh, Grant Faulkner's site. Um, You go there, you read those stories. You see people who write... um, stilted language other people who are writing in a very poetic way people you can see the mfa style of writing going on and what i mean by that is you know people who have been heavily influenced by writers like uh raymond carver and you know where the stories are pretty open-ended but with the open denouements you, you see a bit of everything and you start to see like you know well where does my style fall within all of this and that's the beautiful and scary thing is it you have to try to figure that out and uh, you have to do that without being too judgmental of yourself or too obsessed with what other people think of what you do i love that i could definitely hear the music and what when you were reading yours and i think that's a big part of it too the language and how it all fits together and that rhythm of it and you are in a great place for that well, I appreciate it. I don't I don't know how all of this is going to play out commercially because you have to convince people that this is even something worth reading. And then when they read it, like, oh, these are great stories. But if I were writing a novel, they understand what that is. That makes perfect sense to them. They can get right into it. Either they like what you're doing or they don't. But with me, I feel like I have to double duty. Like, hey, check this out. There's a thing called a travel. 100 words. There's no story you can be done in 100 words. And you're like, yes, you can. And then they hear it and they're like, wow, that's interesting. And so it's almost like you have to sell them on the form before you can sell them on the actual stories. That's true. And even short stories, at least at the library, people don't necessarily gravitate to them. I have to sell people on a short story collection, which is funny because we have so little time these days. It's such a great way to just get a hit of something, you know, just a hit of literature. I love that you connected them to the lottery and a rose for Emily because many of us with a literature background remember dissecting those stories. Yeah. And I just love your spin on them. And what's funny is today... um... (laughs) All right, so I'll talk a little bit about this coronavirus situation and how it has caused a great deal of us to be paralyzed uh, in terms of our writing. Cause that's when this thing first really set in and we were told we were working from home, you couldn't go out, things like that. There was just no mental space for creative writing at that point. It was like, okay, I have to worry about homeschooling my daughter. I have to worry about trying to teach my classes strictly online. 
this software that we've always had access to, but I'd only use sparingly. Now I'm having to rely on it 100% to get through my classes. You know, thoughts and just fears and anxieties. Going to the grocery store, you know, that's like preparing for some covert mission. Or I'm going, you know, as soon as they open, I'm going, I got my mask, got my gloves, you know. And then I have to be on this aisle, I have to watch this. And if I'm going to get toilet paper, I have to be strategic about it because, you know, all of that kind of just messes with your ability to create. And I was kind of in this weird space with all of that. And then my wife tells me, you got to figure out a way to write through this. You know, just anything, write anything. I'm like, what am I supposed to write? And one day I just sat down, pulled up a Spotify um, playlist and just started writing the first thing that came to mind. And it was a piece of microfiction with no set word count. And then what I did after that is I continued to write stories. And within two weeks, I'd written a full book of those. And then um, I was like, I guess I should try to do something awesome. with this. So I went ahead and, you know, uh, had my beta readers check it out. And they were surprised that the book had come together so quickly. In fact, I don't normally tell people that kind of thing uh, simply because, you know, literary people like to brag about how long we slaved over something. We're 30 years on this book. And it really took you one NaNoWriMo <laughs> to get the first draft out, but people don't really want to hear that. So I um, managed to get that book uh, together and published it. And I felt restless, so I started back writing again, and I ended up writing another a collection, which just came out today. And um, when that was finished, I was like, okay, I feel like I need to write something else. And then I, it hit me. That's how I'm going to get through all of this. I'm going to write my way through this because that's the one thing that I can control. I can't control when I have to physically go back to work. I can't control uh, the next time I'm going to be able to go to a movie theater or take my wife out for a dinner at a restaurant. I can't control any of those things, but I can control these stories. If I can sit here, take whatever idea, no matter how ridiculous it is, and just follow it. Like this morning, because uh, I try to write a story a day, I got an idea from a picture. No, it wasn't a picture. It was actually um, a video I was watching. It was uh, Salvador Dali was on uh, with, I think it was Dick Calvert or some some talk show back in the day. And he brought this anteater on the show with him, which he had no control over. The thing is just running all over the place. That's funny. You know, so if you Google Dali and anteater, you'll see him coming out of the subway or something with this humongous anteater on a leash wow i'm like how ridiculous can you be and then i thought about well you know Flannery o'connor you know she had these peacocks you know you don't the average person doesn't have 100 peacocks running around in their yard and i thought what can you do with an idea like that and i wrote a story and i called it colors <laughs> and uh it, it's about uh, I can read it to you if you want to hear it. I love it. So this one's called Colorful. Seeking to add to his budding authorial legend, Princeton Watts planned to acquire a pet of sufficient exoticism. 
Flannery O'Connor kept a yard full of peacocks and Salvador Dali enjoyed strutting an anteater down the sidewalk. So whatever Princeton acquired had to be shocking. Having grown up on the dark crystal, he selected the cassowary, an enormous, colorful bird that resembled a skexy. The bird was perfect for a fantasy writer. He understood his mistake only when he watched the bird withdraw its claw from his abdomen after an attempt at feeding. His blood, just another color among the feathers. I love that. That's awesome. That was wonderful. Thank you. So before we forget to talk about it, what was the name of your collection that you just released? Oh, the one today that came out is called uh, The World is Yours. It's microfiction stories. And this one I just read to you is a part of the underground literary mixtape that I'm creating right now. So when you put together your collections, are they arranged according to a theme, or do you just release them according to the time you wrote them? Okay, well, the first one um, that I wrote during this quarantine period is called Bees and Things and Flowers. And that title is taken from a song by Roy Ayers called Everybody Loves the Sunshine. And, you know, one, one of the lyrics is just bees and things and flowers. But that is actually 61 stories that are all connected as a part of the same. So if you were, I think of like a concept album where you're telling one story over the course of a full um, album. And so all of those are arranged in a sequence that makes sense for the story that they're telling as a whole. So that one is different from The World is Yours. What the world is yours is more a collection of singles as opposed to a concept album. And with that one, I arranged it based upon like ebbs and flows. If I had something that was kind of funny or ridiculous, I would want to kind of put them in the places that made most sense emotionally if you're reading these pieces back to back. Uh, sometimes I have several humorous ones in a row, and then I would come into a serious one and then bend that serious one to a darker realm and then come out of that darkness with something a little bit lighter. And so it's all about the emotional effect I want the readers to have should they decide to read them sequentially. So I'm curious, Carrie, how is your process different from Rand's? Well... With a story, I usually have an idea of a character or a kind of an event, kind of like an arc, because I don't write nearly as small as Rand does. Well, Rand seems to have a bunch of different lengths going on. I I think that's awesome, and that's such a testament to the creativity going on there in the form. But with my stories, I usually need at least like 2,500 or 3,000 words. The last story that I wrote was about the aliens that came (laughs) from the uh, Gestalt Media competition. So with that, there was a prompt and the prompt was guests. So that gave me something a little bit to work off of. And... I have to admit, I was a little bit influenced by Gino, um, who was our guest on the last podcast, and he told me how to pronounce his name, and I, I'm terrible at it. It's, yeah, I think it's Finocaro, and we just 
published his book Grace Falls through Writing Block, and that was a collection of short stories. And there was one short story that was from the perspective of a little girl. And my thought was that, okay, the theme was guests and it was a holiday. So I was thinking, what kind of guests would be coming to a holiday dinner that would be unexpected? And that's, my mind always goes to aliens. So <laughs> that was where that came from. And I knew I only had a certain number of words to make that event happen, to have the little girl. And of course, no one believes her. And so that was where that whole story came from. And it was really just kind of a slice of life. You don't have, like Rand was saying earlier, you don't really have a lot of room to do an arc. So it's just kind of like an event or character, like I was saying before. With some of my other stories that I've done in the past, I was doing a lot of mystery stories and it's really hard to get a whole murder and solving of that murder or some other mystery, like something being lost or it's hard to get all that into one short story. So I think that some of my stories probably could have been fleshed out into longer forms. But at that time, it was just that, like we were saying before, that was the thing that I could do. And some of my stories, I ended up tacking on additional stories with the same characters so that I could get into that character's head a little bit more. I have a question for Jackie, so maybe it'll take her a minute to get figured out. But I'd like to know if you've ever written a short story or if that's something that you're thinking about doing and where that might fit in with your novels. So I have tried multiple times to write short stories. Um, and one of my, I think, strongest suits as an author is world building. So anytime that I try to write a short story, it just turns into the beginning of a new novel. And so I really would like to master it because I know that um, just having shorter projects would probably be very cathartic for me um, especially hearing you guys talk maybe that will inspire me a little bit to write some shorter fiction uh, but as far as anything more than what I created maybe in college writing classes I haven't ever um, ever wrapped up a, a story that would qualify as a short story I I'm gonna keep trying <laughs> I did had my first experience with writing shorter fiction, I just turned a couple chapters of a, a current work in progress into a, a pilot for a script writing contest. Um, okay. And that was outside of my comfort zone in that I needed to uh, dive a little more into dialogue and make everything a little more compact. So maybe that was just my dipping the toe in the water of, of trying yeah. something new. So very cool. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. So do you have any, I know you talked a little bit about a couple websites that you like to check on. Are there any other resources that you use regularly when you're writing? Well, I'm constantly using Google uh, just to search things. Uh, because I deal with so few words, I have to make sure that I'm using the right word all the time. So I'll look up words that I think I already know the meaning to, but I just have to be sure. Like I have students who, this is just a, a very small example. It's almost like when you get to college, the word that people latch on to is plethora. And they use the word always with their fingers, kind of like magic fingers. Like you can't just say plethora with your hand sitting still. You have to say plethora as if you're massaging the air with your fingertips. And most of them have never looked the word up. 
So um, they naturally think that it means uh, a lot of something. But, you know, the dictionary definition is an overabundance of something. Okay. And I like to say you don't have a plethora of classes. If you went to the club and you met a lot of people and got phone numbers, so many phone numbers that you couldn't even get through them in the course of a single semester, then you have a plethora of phone numbers. Hmm. So uh, I'm really obsessed with language in that regard. So Google is probably the first place that I go. Um, occasionally, I look at Wikipedia, but I don't look at it as often because you can get in that rabbit hole. Right. You go from one thing to the next thing. You started out, you know, looking at science fiction and all of a sudden, you know, you're somewhere in Mary uh, Shelley is, has uh, her husband's heart in a drawer, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you, and you go from there. It's like, you know, you spend three hours away from writing when you, when you go down the rabbit hole. Right. But uh, to me, it's really about the language. Occasionally, if I get an idea, I'll just verify that it is what I remembered it to be. So it's not one of those uh, Mandela effects where you think you know something that didn't really happen that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with that. Have there been other, any kind of like writing craft books that you've read on the subject, or do you just tend to read other short fiction? Okay, actually, I read a ton of short fiction first. So uh, it, it's a great way to read a lot of writers that you've never read before. So if you never had uh, read anything about Tolstoy, you know, there's stories out there you can read. So you can see kind of sort of how he wrote at a particular point in his life. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes for pretty much anybody. You know, most people wrote short stories at some point. So you, you might not have read um, The Sun Also Rises, but you might have read uh, Hills Like White Elephants. So, you know, you can get a little bit of, uh, of a writer and, the, and their style and what they're about by reading the short stories. Like there are people out there who will say that they have read uh, The Eyes Were Watching God when they have mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And then the excuses that people like to use is, oh, I couldn't really follow the vernacular and all of that kind of nonsense. But if you want to read Zora Neale Hurston, but you're intimidated by her larger works, you can read one of the short stories like Sweat. You know, something is heavily okay. anthologized this out there. And so I read a lot of stories. But then craft-wise, I'm always reading new craft books as well. Um, favorites or on writing Stephen King's book. Um, mm -hmm. And I think really, and this is what's slept on because it's two halves. The first half is kind of autobiographical where he talks about where he got some of his ideas from. But the latter half is about the writer's toolbox. And that's so important. And to see it coming from him, his version of elements of style mm -hmm. is really, really cool. Um, of course, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird is one of my Love favorites. That one. Yeah, and she's just so straightforward with everything, and she makes it seem fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes you need people who can kick you in, in the pants and other people who can give you a hug. And she's one of those people who kind of hugs you. See, other things I've read that, well, Anne, uh, Anne Patchett is uh, an author that I really like, and she had a collection of her essays um, that were published a few years back. And in that collection was one called The Getaway Car, where she talks about her thoughts about writing. Okay. And um, 
there are a lot of things that she says that just really strike a chord with me. So I'm always looking for new things to read about not just the craft of writing microfiction, but uh, the craft of writing in general or just living a life as a writer. Because it's nice to know that people have actually given that some thought and they're willing to open up and, and show you what their lives look like. So, uh, yeah, I think craft books are incredibly important, but uh, you also have to read a lot of short stories. I love that. That's great advice. I think a lot of people, I think you were talking about it earlier with that Ann Patchett essay. A lot of people are just like, I want to be a writer, mm-hmm. but they don't want to put in the extra effort of reading and really immersing themselves. And I love Ann Patchett too. I met her in Cleveland probably about 10 years ago. And I was lucky because she was speaking at the Cleveland Public Library and my friend, who's also an author, had actually picked her up from the airport and brought her to the lecture. So I was hanging kind of back at the end of the line for the signing and I ended up talking to her for about half an hour. Oh, wow. I remember that so clearly, just how valuable it was to get that time with her. And then I met her again at PLA where the three of us all met. She was there? Yeah, she and I didn't even know she was there. My husband, wow. Ed, walks up to me back at the Sisters in Crime booth and he's like, do you know a lady named Ann Patchett? And <laughs> I do not remember seeing her on the schedule. She just kind of appeared in, and I was like, Ann Patchett's here? Wow. She did a signing. Yeah, I was... So I got The Dutch House, which was her, is her latest book I haven't read yet. Right. I went up yeah. to her and I said, did you know we met in Cleveland about 10 years ago? And she said, did we like each other? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I certainly liked you. And she said, well, I remember that day it was raining. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that's Cleveland for you. It's raining right now. That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, she's she's wonderful. And I love that essay that you were talking about. And every one of those craft books is great. Yeah, I'm, that or the essay, um, The Getaway Car, It I, was, I remember the first time I read it. Because I think I read it as a Kindle single first before it was put into the collection. And I saw... When she, you know, she said people don't just walk around saying that they have a concerto in their brain like they do. Oh, I have a book. I have three books in my head. You know, no one does that with other art forms. But because you can write, you know, put pen to paper, you feel like that's enough to qualify you to write a book. It was. It's a sobering reality, but it's a reality nonetheless that it takes practice. It takes devotion. It takes the talent and the skill. Mm-hmm. to be able to do what it is that we do. And I think sometimes people think that uh, because they wrote an essay in college that that entitles them to have one great American novel. And and what bothers me, especially my poetry classes, is that people sign up for the class who don't read poetry. And if you ask them, give, give me 10 of your favorite poets who are still alive. I mean, it's like one one name pops out. I'm like, in order for you to actually be able to write poetry nowadays, you have to be conversant in the way that poets are doing things as of 2020. You know, who are the people 
who are the last people to get the Pulitzer Prize in poetry? Like, you know, Jericho Brown just got it yesterday. You know, read his work. What does it look like? You know, what does Terrence Hayes' work look like? You know, don't tell me uh, your favorite poet is Paul Lawrence Dunbar or Langston Hughes. And it could very well be. And I respect the fact that you can have people who uh, represent different eras be your favorites. But if you're totally disconnected from what's going on presently, then it makes it a lot more difficult for you to get your work published. It also screams volumes that you might not be as serious about this as you're projecting yourself to be. So um, that's just my little two cents. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel like I could not tell you who my favorite poet writing right now is, but I don't write poetry. Right, right. But just the fact of you saying that kind of opens my eyes to, I should be looking at that a little bit more closely because all of us are writers in one big community. And and that's really a big thing for, for fiction writers. Like we were talking about earlier with being able to, to write concisely and that lends itself very well to short story writing. So I would think if a person was a short story writer, they would probably want to read a lot of poetry as well. Right. And I think what you say rings true just with any genres that often you will come across writers who want to write, you know, the great new uh, young adult novel who haven't read a young adult book in 10 years. Yeah, they read Judy Bloom. Yeah, uh, I met those people. Are you there, guys? Me and Margaret, and they haven't read anything since then. Yeah. Right, right. Or want to read a, you know, write a scary story, but don't read current horror writers. And right. I think that's kind of true with any with any genre. I've met many people like that, and uh, that's not quite how it works. Nah. Well, Rand, we're coming up on an hour here. Um, would you like to take a minute and tell our listeners where to find you and how to keep up with what you've got going on? Sure, sure. Uh, the easiest way to find me is on my website, which is www.ranwalker.com. That's R-A-N-W-A-L-K-E-R. Um, and what's funny about that is like, I, I get it. There's a walk part of the name and then a run part of the name. It's all good. <laughs> I never noticed that. <laughs> observant i am i didn't either it's okay yeah so ran is short for randolph and um it just happened to be the domain name that i can get my hands on and also it's my childhood nickname so um you can find me on ranwalker.com i'm also on twitter at ranwalker and uh, i'm on linkedin ranwalker i don't do facebook uh or instagram or anything so um solidarity on the facebook yeah people have to send me text messages saying oh yeah i posted this so you can see it i'm like okay i hear you on that i'm on facebook but sometimes i wish i'm not (laughs) (laughs) so tell us again a little bit about your where to find your your published works is the best place your website or actually it's any bookstore um go to your favorite local bookstore online and chances are they will carry it Books are pretty much distributed through um, through Ingram, so they're accessible by pretty much every store. Support your local bookstore if you have one. If not, um, of course, there's Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, Google Play, Kobo, different places like that. But yeah, it's pretty much everywhere. Nice. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on today. Well, it's been great talking with you guys. And thanks for sharing your stories. It was really cool to hear you read them and I'm really excited to check out more microfiction. Thanks for listening to the Writing Blog Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. 
We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or at writingblock.com. No K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.